All right. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Be Here for a While. All right. So this episode, Greg and I have been fascinated. This is Greg Hunter, by the way, the uh, the boyfriend. What up? Mm, that was that. Are you, uh, are you in a gang? Sup, world? I'm just trying to sound cool. It, 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 it was about as cool as Keith Raniere is. So. Well, I mean, that uh, works for this episode then, I guess. That was quite the segue on my part. So today's episode is about the insane, unimpressive cult leader, Keith Raniere. Greg and I have been obsessed with watching The Vow, and we just cannot wrap our heads around how this guy pulled it off. So in last week's episode, I, I, in the intro, I said... Please try to watch as much of The Vow as possible before listening to this episode so you know what we're talking about. Otherwise, there's going to be a ton of spoilers. Um, but maybe if you don't feel like watching his dorky ass play volleyball for nine episodes, um, I mean, maybe maybe you're fine with the spoilers if you didn't watch it. So. Yeah, we can spare you the frustration that occurs by trying to get through all ten episodes. Yeah. Just, you just get more and more frustrated that... Keith even exists. Yeah. Like, okay. So we both discussed like for and and first of all, I, I totally understand that people can get sucked into cults. I think I technically think anyone could. It would just me personally it would Depends definitely Depends on the cult. Yeah, if there was a cult about nachos, I'd probably be sucked in. You'd probably be the leader. Yeah, I mean I could be. But I, I don't I truly I can see why, besides Keith sort of people got sucked into this but at the same time there's so many moments where i'm just like did no one look at each other in the room and be like what 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 what, what are we listening to this like dumpster record well, for it's pretty well disguised as a self-help seminar or mm-hmm. an executive um business improvement yeah course what is it what is it called executive executive uh, success programs yeah. esp how clever of them to yeah. use already established acronyms like ESP and SOP, Standard Operating Procedures. Uh, we, we'll get you, to Yeah, what, you got to save what SOP is. It's perhaps my favorite thing. But um, it's kind of like it plays out like a Tony Robbins concert but, would. But we discussed that like, even though I think Tony Robbins is an absolute basket case and a manipulator, I can see how just his size and his stature and, like, he's maybe somewhat good-looking. Like, I can yeah, see... He appears superhuman. Yeah, I could see how he would maybe be, like, oh, godlike, and, like, look how cool this guy is. Yeah, how you, he could establish a breakthrough for a human being. Yes. I don't... I truly, and it's the most frustrating part of this, I do not understand how the dorkiest man alive pulled this off. Yeah, I wouldn't even take like spare change from him, let alone advice. <laughs> Seriously, but it's so weird. So, so he one of his tactics is it's a it's a typical cult tactic of um, depriving people of sleep. Well, and additionally, food. He he forces the women to count their calories, and they're all ridiculously skinny. See, that's also where I'd just be out. I'd be like, <laughs> sorry, so no, 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 no. Which I also think that the girl from Star Wars like balked at that too just like hey i'm not starving myself yeah um but anyways uh so so yeah so he keeps people up all night um and one of the ways he does this is well two of the ways he will either if you need to talk to him he'll be like let's go on a walk at 3 a.m 
and uh and then the other way is he makes people play volleyball with him all night long and it is so insane to see a grown man with a gray ponytail a sweatband a bum equipment sweatshirt on like socks pulled up he's probably about five two i don't know and there's literally the women around him. Oh, are just the knee pads. Knee pads. Oh yeah, because he's, he's straight up wearing knee pads. As if, as if indoor volleyball wasn't the dorkiest activity for an adult to do. And it's the kind of knee pads. It's not like like skater knee pads with like a plastic. Like oh no, they're volleyball somehow, knee pads. Yeah, it's like it that you like wore an in, in ace PE. bandage. Yeah, well that's what <laughs> they look like. Knees, but basically. that was. But it's like I can see how like beach volleyball is kind of like a sexy sport for adults. Uh, adult indoor volleyball. In the same place that, like, there's like children's talent shows and like an AA meeting booked later that day. Like, yeah, it's in- like a Knights of Columbus. <laughs> in fact, that's how my parents met. So we can't trash on volleyball too much. They met playing like intramural volleyball <sighs> at a Knights of Columbus. I'm gonna have to text your mom. We need to have a chat. <laughs> <laughs> but at the Knights of the Col- is that like a um, like a Eagles or a Masons or something? Yeah, kind of like uh, American Legion, but just for anybody. Actually, I think it's got to be. Your dad was only going there to pick up chicks. Oh, there was like beer included in the membership or something. Okay. Well, and yeah, of course, that's how, where he met my mom. Of course, yeah. he was he was going there for the chicks. Okay. I mean, I guess it, it but you have, it, admittedly, it's very dorky. Super dorky. It's very dorky, but it, but. Well, so, it's more dorky to take it as seriously as Keith did. Oh my God. There's literally like people. When they were still his followers, they would be like, he's an aggressive like competitor in the sport of indoor volleyball. Like, first of all, he's too short to spike a ball. I doubt he can actually do that. I also like how the volleyball like seeps its way into all of his other uh, lectures and teachings. Like he was talking about pain in one of the uh, SOP seminars. And he's like, you know, it, it feels good when the volleyball like hits your oh, forearms, yeah. like that's yeah. good pain. God, like his, his life is just all revolves it, around the volleyball. It's just so dorky. But so then, so he's, you know, I painted a good picture of what he looks like. I don't think you and, painted a good enough one. Like, let's really break it down. How okay. much of a chump is this guy? I mean, he's shaped like a like SpongeBob SquarePants. Like he's 100% just a boxy, <laughs> short, angry. What did I, what, what did we say? It looks like he's got lice. When we, were, when we were first I watching it. I could see it. some lice in that hair for yeah. sure. But, he but, looks very unkept, but not in like the cool like, oh, this guy's such a genius, like the plight of the genius. He, d- he doesn't even have time to wash himself. It looks very much just like, like greasy, grimy, video games slimy. In his basement all yeah, day. yeah. Like he'd rather just not clear off the Cheetos dust from his beard that he should have shaved two weeks ago. Yeah. But so I think we've painted him now, but, but that person... There's then, you know, after, also, after the volleyball game's over. His haircut, though. It's well, like that was only cool for like nine, one year of the 90s when like Jonathan Taylor oh, Thomas had that oh, haircut. Oh, I was going to say, or like John Tesh, the like piano player or whatever. It's like a feathered sort of short fair faucet. I don't do. know John Tesh. Uh, it, it's the hair that was like, oh, cool 90s guy He's a cool 90s guy, but yeah. also like oh, only a cool 90s teenager, like Jonathan Taylor Thomas in Tool Time. Or like a hot... Wall Street Ken doll looking dude. That was fine. Yeah. But not key. But you got to be at least six foot. Yeah. Yeah. And have pectoral muscles. Totally. To pull off that haircut. Yeah. Especially after 30. Like, yeah. You can't have that hair after 30. Totally. But for whatever reason, 15 or more women 
will sit around him and be like, oh, I love what you're saying. After the volleyball game, they're all just like fawning over him. They'll live with him. 15 or more. He had Mm -hmm. at least six women living with him as life partners. Also, which begs the question, why was the house so dirty? Oh, yeah. In the background of you noticed all that. I mean, like, if you're going to brainwash a number of women, wouldn't you want them to at least like also clean this very trashy suburban home you're living in. But maybe he didn't want them to have like any self-confidence because if you notice, first of all, they're all like really skinny because he doesn't let them eat. None of them wear makeup. They all sort of like... It, it, Hang on every last Yeah, word. they're very like... And I'm. these are, I mean, some of them are famous actresses. These are people that like were used to getting, you know, glammed up on a red carpet. But he makes them feel so like, oh, you're such a princess that like then they... They basically just form into this uh, just sort of meek uh, woman who like would never like she doesn't like she she would never wear makeup and curl her hair and wear heels because she doesn't need that attention because Keith tells you that like that makes you really like arrogant or something. Mm -hmm. So they just are like so maybe part of the thing with the house is like even keeping up like. I mean, I, I would be willing to bet something he would say to them is, oh, do you, oh, you need to show off with your fancy place or whatever? Like, yeah, these are all material things. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. It's, oh, it's so ridiculous. I mean, but it is, it was the most abundantly clear for me that he somehow managed to, or it's people that are very lost, I don't know. But when Allison Mack, when they're first filming her talking to him after a volleyball game and she's instantly like entranced by him and then is even coming on to him. Like she says something that has nothing to do with sexual, but she's trying to make it sexual. Like, you know, you pop my cherry or, or yeah, whatever. It was basically like, um, you'll pop my ESP or Nick Nexium cherry. Something like that. Yeah. But she says this to him in a very flirtatious way. So this is like her first volleyball game. Like she was just taken to um, a seminar within the month. And so she's like, you know, new to the organization. Mm -hmm. Let's not call it a cult just yet. And she's now this is her chance to talk to the head head guy, the head guru so she's being all charming with Keith and trying to totally hit on him. And it's clear she's already decided she's going to compete with the other women for his attention. It's kind of like, I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to oh, be the yeah. number one. I mean, I'm surprised we're already here at Allison Mack. I feel like there's other things we got oh, to get to. But in particular, yeah, you get the vibe that she is still entitled. Now, she's going to this whole thing so she can, like, break her pride and her entitlement but in the back of my mind it seems to me like the play she's really making is like oh i'm better than all these schmucks oh yeah i, I think, think it's i think it's a very competitive girl thing for it for her in that moment at least and and a lot of it where it's like i'm going to be the number one girl here yeah i think she even wants to be where keith is i think she's envious of what keith has and i think she thinks that she can i think she worships him though well yes because of the brainwashing and all, but in that moment, I feel like she is totally planning on sleeping her way to the top. Oh, yeah. And also thinks, like, I could run my own Nexium yeah. self-improvement yeah. franchise. I'm a child star. I yeah, made it, like I've I'm, made it yeah. in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Hey, friends, do you have a butthole? That was as aggressive for me as it was for you. It was hard for you to hear. It was hard for me to say. But I don't care because I'm open and I'm honest and I'm free now. So, do you have a butthole? 
Well, then this ad is for you. It's hard to believe that when we go to the bathroom in this country, most of us wipe instead of wash. For years, bidets have been available, but hideously expensive, costing thousands of dollars. The Hello Tushy Modern Bidet Attachment is here to democratize the blessings bestowed by bidets and offer clean buttholes to everyone. Hello Tushy cleans your butt with a precise stream of fresh water for just $79. It attaches to your existing toilet, requires no electricity or additional plumbing, and cuts toilet paper use by 80%. So Hello Tushy Bidet pays for itself in just a few months. Because with Hello Tushy, you don't wipe at all. Even the best two-ply just can't cut it when it comes to a hands-free poop experience. Ditch paper products and uncomfortable chafing when you switch to the soothing, cleansing stream of water from a Hello Tushy bidet attachment. And every Hello Tushy bidet attachment comes with a 60-day risk-free guarantee and a 12-month warranty. Join millions of happy Hello Tushy customers right now and have a clean butt with every flush. Just go to hellotushy.com slash be here to get 10% off. This is a special offer for our listeners. Go to hellotushy.com slash be here for 10% off. That's hellotushy.com slash be here. So since we basically gave you like a full, just kind of picture early on of what we're working with. Now let's kind of go chronologically through Start how from people the beginning. Yeah, how people got sucked in and yeah, so go ahead, Craig. And why they got sucked in. Mm-hmm. Do you want to mention Keith's first business? Um it was just another multi-level marketing scheme. I mean, yeah, but it kind of set the groundwork for yeah. him building this ESP Executive success program. So Keith Ranieri in the '90s was running a um, consumer some consumer byline multi-level marketing scheme, where basically it's like you are um, buying a subscription to a whole bunch of coupons, whole bunch of mm-hmm. a whole bunch of deals. There's things like this, you know, like Zoo Books mm-hmm. or things that you know exist out there where you pay a subscription annual subscription to then have all these discounts at all these great places. Mm-hmm. He also then got into, which was very popular. I remember when I first moved to L.A., like, there were some actors that were, like, selling this, like, oh, gosh, not like pomegranate juice, acai juice, maybe. But it was, like, then they got, they got a kickback if they sold it to you. It was a multi-level marketing scheme. Yeah. So he eventually had one like that, too. But basically, it's a pyramid scheme. Both of them were his two first businesses. And he ended up getting investigated um, by the FBI and eventually shut down. But he used the same tactics in, you know, he would stand confidently still at one of his seminars and be like, you know, it's all lies about me. It's just, it's just a witch hunt. Um, but ultimately, he was shut down for that as well. Yeah, so his previous two businesses got shut down for fraud and other bad business practices, but gave him kind of a a training course and became the proving ground yeah. of what he was about ready to build in the early 2000s. So yeah. I think in 99, he met that crazy woman who's really his like, uh, God, 
the Nancy. Luigi, the Luigi to his Mario, mm-hmm. Nancy. That's right, Nancy who, Salzman. Who, Nancy Salzman, who is the perfect leader of his psychological programming. Mm-hmm. She has she, a constant smile that that if you didn't know it was insincere, it seems sincere. It seems sincere. Like, she, she. It does seems seem sincere. So like. Vanilla. Yeah, but she also because her she has such a big smile too. She actually she would I would cast her in a commercial for a toothpaste because it, it uh, or any commercial where you really need someone to sell something because you're just kind of like she reminds me of like a dermatologist in like a proactive commercial like yeah believable. I would buy what she's selling because it's just like God, she's so cheery and look at that big beautiful smile. Like she's a perfect commercial actor. Yeah, she just doesn't look evil in any way no. and she also she is a therapist and she has that whole like very clear articulation and calm maternal vibe i totally forgot down. she did hypnotherapy too which yeah. has been largely listen i've been hypnotherapy and i kind of like loved it but i also did even recognize it certain parts of it when for example and i really love the guy i went to uh when he was like, okay, now we're going to, you're going to lift your finger when uh, a trauma that you don't remember basically comes up. We're going to start with your age now. All right, 32, 31, 30. And he like kept going and, I, and then he like hit like age 11. I was like, I mean, that was when my dad was sick, but like, that's not really a trauma. I've kind of like worked through that. And he's like, okay, we're going to go back for t- 10, 9. nine I, and eight, I literally, seven, I literally was like, six. I don't have anything. Like, I, I like, I literally had to come up with something just to like, Shut him up. Yeah, I was like, um, my sister was being bratty once when we were really little, and I called Save the Children. Well, that will come back into play later. But, on, but on. anyways, hypnotherapy has kind of been proven to be like, it can be very good, but it can also be very suggestive. Certainly. And and she's very suggestive in what she does. And she also does that uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah. It's all... NLP. NLP. It's all very suggestive. and Absolutely. I mean... Neuro-linguistic programming works, mm-hmm. and you can program the brain like a computer to respond to a word impulse. Yeah, so and it can be a good thing or a really bad thing. Absolutely. And the time it was a good thing was when the... Before... I guess he did a few okay things, but one good thing he did was allegedly curing Tourette's. Oh, okay. I didn't know... Where you were going? Okay, yes. So Keith Raniere's. I don't. I don't even want to credit him with the system because I really think I'm pretty confident that the the programming methods they're following were actually patented for for actual computer science, and he kind of reverse engineered it for psychology. That's how I'm understanding it. It's possible that he is actually the owner of the patent, but anyhow, this patented programming technique was effective enough to deprogram Tourette's patients from having to constantly partake in their nervous tics. So, and it's pretty miraculous. And so like, you know, if you go to one of these seminars and you see someone with Tourette's on stage and they show an old video, you know, two years ago I was unable to speak clearly for a minute straight and now they're just talking just fine. I mean, that would be pretty remarkable to see. Yeah. You would think that... And 
something else we got to mention is that the way that they were able to reach so many people was that they had kind of an outreach program that wasn't, it was like a diet cult. Mm-hmm. You know, they weren't coming full in with all their crazy beliefs and n- neuro programming. They, they pulled people in with what they called ESP and not tele- telepathy, but it's the ESP stated for executive success programs. Mm-hmm. Couldn't even be more... Well, and I think, and I think the 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 way he was able to to be so successful, though, where you're like, oh, I mean, sh- if this person's into it, then wow. I mean, he even formed. Uh, so partially, I think what what gave him influence was you know very rich people like the heiresses to the Seagram's liquor fortune were members. And then they started introducing him to people. And I think that that definitely helped. Yeah. So there was this whole facade um, put on by ESP, executive success programs, where they were going out and finding new patrons to pay a whole bunch of money Mm -hmm. to sit in a room with other business executives, all in pursuit of Mm self-help, improving their emotional being to be a more effective leader in the business world. Mm -hmm. And so that seems not as culty and a a reasonable thing to go to for a lot of people out there trying to be a better business executive. Mm -hmm. But like Landmark and other things, they they end up sometimes... Well, Landmark hasn't been proven to escalate to this level yet, but it ends up being, you know, it's a way to kind of break you down, get you sucked in, get you paying money, but he he took it really, really far. So just because I have this pulled up here. Um, so another way he was able to align himself with people. So the Seagram's girls, which I, also, I just read right now, though, that so basically one of them somehow, because they're very rich, knew the Dalai Lama. OK, so the Dalai Lama was supposed to meet with Keith in Albany, New York, when he was there. But because people began questioning and it was kind of coming out in the news, uh, you know, is this a cult? What's going on? Is this maybe a sex cult? The Dalai Lama backed out. Well, I just read right now. So, so, so not one to be deterred. Keith Raniere and Nancy Salzman and one of the Seagram's daughters flew to basically stalked the Dalai Lama. And yeah. we're like, we are not not meeting with you. They flew to Tibet. Yeah. In order to, well, it was their belief that because he was kind of in some morally corrupt uh, drama in the n- headlines, they were like, oh, well, this will clean my slate of any moral corruption. If I get the nod from the Dalai Lama that I'm a good guy, people have to believe that I'm a good guy. And for whatever reason, the Dalai Lama, but I also kind of think he just wanted them out of the room. Like, in the, so you, they show it in the documentary, that he, his meeting with the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama's like, well, I've been persecuted in the past and so I get it and he's not a bad guy but then he basically it's a very short meeting and I think Dalai Lama just wanted him out of the room at that point he was just like sure you're fine as Keith Raniere and this is partially how I think Keith Raniere pulled all this stuff off including like when he would stand in front of a crowd when he was being um 
looked into for his first couple of businesses and just be like, no, I'm right. It, it, the confidence, the doubling down on. He walks out of his meeting with the Dalai Lama and, and just subtly kind of says to Nancy and Sarah, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write the Dalai Lama a letter. I have some thoughts on the China and Tibet relations. And when you watched it, you were like, uh, centuries old, like... Yeah, we were just going to... And then you're going to go to the Gaza Strip next. And yeah. In the feud there. Uh, yeah, it's like, really, but, what could you possibly have to say? But both Nancy and Sarah are like, oh, you totally should. You should definitely yeah. write him a letter. He'll definitely listen. Ah. Like stars in their eyes. Like, insane. like he's so insane. But I just read... So this is the thing I just read. So... After the reason why Sarah was able to get him in the room with the Dalai Lama, eight years later, it was revealed that Sarah Brofman had a 2009 sexual relationship with Lama Tenzin Donden, the Dalai Lama's gatekeeper who arranged the appearance and who, as a monk, had taken a vow of celibacy. So. Wow. That's how they got in the door. Yep. Yeah. But. So I think I think that the re, the way Keith is able to pull a lot of the stuff is stuff like that where it's like I'm gonna write him a letter I gotta I'm and he he claims you know so this stuff all gets debunked he claims he has like the highest IQ in the world he took an at home test which I took one of those in high school I was a genius as well I'm clearly not it, they, they're not that accurate so he claims that he claims he was a judo champion at 11 and I think. Don't you think, Greg, with that, because he's the most unathletic-looking person ever, that it's such a ridiculous claim? People are kind of like, well, I guess it has to be true. Meaning, like, you wouldn't say that. Yeah. I, well, yeah, of course, he, like, picks judo, one of the more... Um, no one even knows what it is. I don't know what it is. Auxiliary yeah. martial art forms. You know, he's not saying karate. Yeah. What is judo? What is it? Just, like, rolling around like I a, believe judo it, is primarily grappling. So, like... So, it's, it's believable. Yeah. In the sense, yeah, yeah it's not like, because he doesn't need to prove to you with like a high kick or whatever. So he also claims, and he does actually play the piano on the show. He claims that he was a concert pianist at the age of like five or something. He also said he, he was reading at two, all this great stuff. But the concert pianist, they actually, it's hilarious. In the documentary, he like, if you were that skilled, of, you wouldn't, you're, you're a musician. You can play anything by ear. You play the piano. If you were that skilled at such a young age, you wouldn't lose it, right? Not to the extent that he apparently has. He's like fumbling through like Moonlight, Moonlit Sonata. Like it just like, it, you know, it, it, if you're a concert pianist, also it's like, why are you leading off with this one? He's like playing basically like chopsticks and like still kind of fumbling a few of the notes. Like it's a very lackluster performance. And it's weird though, because it, it feels like the people in the room were kind of like, oh, this isn't that great. But like they're sort of have to like build him up. But, like, it looks like they kind of are, are looking at him like, uh, is this good? I don't... I mean, it's uh. just, it, was, it was just good enough to, like, not question it. Like, yep, that's the song. Like, like I can play Apologize by One Republic, like, you know, the first minute, kind of. Yeah. You know, I can, I can play it long enough to make you realize, oh, that's that song, and that's all you need. And that's all you need. And then, he's, and then he was kind of just like, all right, well, I'm done with this now. Exactly. It's like, he's got just enough skill to pull off the lie yeah. for just a little like bit. Like, I can play the first part of Charlie Brown, just enough to get you like, like oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's insane. I'd like to see him do a little bit of judo. I, I don't personally want to see that. I mean, I think I would. Well, hopefully those judo skills are coming in handy in prison. Yeah. I mean, seriously, he's already been, uh, 
uh, he's already asked to like be put in special protective custody because he fears for his life. Well, you should, buddy. Yeah. So, okay, what's next? Well, okay, so anyways, they kind of disguised Nexium. Um, You've already said that, yeah, as a executive. With these other um, self-help programs. And so through ESP, they recruited a lot of important people, really rich people who have the time and money to be bored and want to spend months on self-improvement. Which is a little insulting in and of itself that, like, most people have to work so hard their entire life just to survive that just the just the um, the fact that they can just be like, you know, I'm just going to take all this time off work because I really got to I got I got to do some self-improvement. Yeah. And it's not like self-improvement coming like court ordered. Like these are people who are like the, the there's a arrogance to what they're doing and, and the people who got sucked in that I can't avoid and not highlighting because yeah. it's like you feel bad from a little bit, but then you're like, you got to ah. remember they came into this and when they were inducted into it, they had to actually believe that they could transcend into a place where they believed that they were more enlightened than the rest of society at large to where they could make a dramatic global change to the world. Like then they believe this. They mm-hmm. believe that they were changing their emotional beings to a point where they were enlightened by Keith's process to mm-hmm. a point where they were now at a, a moral high ground to the rest of society that allowed them to implement this global yeah. grand change. And so like they're going to get self help and then they're like, wow, like I, I really am one of the chosen ones to like change the world. Yeah, it took one stupid sash or scarf they put around their neck because they, they did that kind of like, uh, you know, karate or whatever, where it's like, now you're at the green level sash. And they would, they literally would run to the stage screaming as if they had won the goddamn lottery to get a cheap, scratchy satin Silk, scarf yeah. put around that. No, it's not, it's sateen. It's not even satin. I don't even know. <laughs> and, and, with each one of those they got, then they were like, oh, well, now I'm higher up in the rung, so now I can recruit more people, and now I can be the one to tell people of their faults. very recruiting-based. So, like, in order to move up the ranks, you had to recruit more people. So that's how they get these people. It's like Mm -hmm. friends of friends. You know, it comes from a trusted source. So, like, I understand how they pulled so many rich, well-off, successful people in because it's like, well, this is kind of weird or whatever, but, like, I trust my friend who brought me here. Totally. And then they're all so excited about it. And and I think that it did have initially at the ESP level some good like mental um, exercises that would improve anybody's life. Yeah. Like, hey, take a moment to self-reflect. That's good no matter who you are or what you're doing. So would you say it took a turn when DOS was first introduced, which was uh, basically submission? No, I think, it, I think it was. Before DOS, there was both Jeunesse and... SOP. No, Society of Protectors was after DOS, I think. No, it wasn't. It wasn't? Okay. No, because... So, oh, so now we, I, just, we, I, I just gave the big reveal. SOP means Society yes. of Protectors. That How means. arrogant are these bastards that they're going to take the most standard <laughs> acronym in business, SOPs, your standard operating procedures for the very own, and have a group called the Society of Protectors. Yeah, these men are going to protect these women. And DOS is short for a Latin phrase... Dominus Abesquius, I can't even say it, sororium, which means master over slave women. So Slave women, is that really, or just master over slave? Master over slave women. 
Let me just let me just double check. I'd written that in my notes, but it's probably uh, here we go. I'll tell you. DOS. Da, 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 da. Um, That's also such as like high school, like secret society. I don't like, know. They say they they say something like that in the documentary. Like, oh, we're gonna put make it in Latin. Yeah, like that's what me and my friends did when we were in high school. Yeah, because you were a bunch of nerds. Yeah, what the hell was that? Latin. Okay. I'm so deep into my secret society. Yeah. I can't find exactly. I'll, I'll find it somewhere else. But but I, I wrote it down when we were watching the show. It does mean something because I remember one of the the women. It occurred to her like. Oh, this is what this means. Like they didn't quite know that it meant like dominance over them right at first. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, okay. So, and what what did Jeunesse stand for again? I have no idea. The whole th- Jeunesse is like. Is it another thing? Like, oh, so they called him Vanguard, which was just like his favorite uh, character in a stupid video game or something. Yeah. Later revealed by his first girlfriend that the Vanguard came from an arcade game they had in their garage. Yeah. So he makes everybody in the whole program call him Vanguard. Yeah. Okay, so they herd their cattle and recruit everybody with executive success programs, with ESP. This is the big, you know, and there's ESP um, offices and business parks all over the country. Um, And the main intention of ESP really is to just recruit and, and bring more people in to Nexium, And so the only way to move up through ESP, as Rachel was mentioning, is with these stupid sashes. It's kind of like emotional karate. <laughs> and you work your way up um, to being a teacher or something, then a proctor. Anyhow, it's really all based on how many people have you brought into the program to pay absorbent amounts of money and waste a weekend. Or a five-day, they call them, your first five-day. Anyhow, through these established groups at ESP, eventually they created new um, gender-specific um, courses. And I just looked up, Jeunesse does not stand for anything in particular. It's basically, which is really funny because it, it switches to basically um, not empowering women. But Jeunesse is a women's movement that facilitates an ongoing exploration of what it means to be a woman. The now defunct website once read, through open dialogue and development of friendships, Jeunesse engages women from all over the world and allows them to discover the true essence of womanhood. Made up by Keith. Made up by Keith, since he would know. I think Jeunesse is just like a, it sounds like finesse, but with a J. Oh, that's that's even worse. It's just just a smooth sounding word. It doesn't mean anything. Actually, no. Finesse is a smooth sounding word. Jeunesse is actually not. It sounds like a A J in front of an N. Yeah. Anyhow. so they started Jeunesse, and then they also started the Society of Protectors, and so... Which is my absolute favorite. Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't get enough of how stupid it is. And at first, each program was exclusive to uh, each gender. So Jeunesse was only for women, and the Society of Protectors was only for men. And then after a, so however many successful um, sessions of each program... Um, the followers of let's Nexium at large proposed to Keith like, Oh, you know, this has been so helpful. Like I want, you know, the opposite sex, my significant other to come to SOP and vice versa. And so of course, you know, Keith being the exalted, uh, 
control freak that he is mm-hmm. allows it to happen, but is all like reluctant and it's like, well, you know, the, the this is where he starts to really implement his control and the uh, uh, mental, uh, gosh, the beating down mentally of women. Yeah, you start to you start to really see his. Um, He's angry that he was an unattractive, underachieving loser who got a two point six two GPA and was short and unathletic <laughs> when he was growing up. Yes, that's true. He just made he made up his entire life. Um, so that's where you see how mad he is that when he was a little boy, he says. Um, when he was on the playground and a little girl wanted something that he had, she would just take it and hit him over the head with the like uh, like the sand pail or whatever. And it was in that moment that it was his first indoctrination where a mother or a father grabbed him by the wrist and were like, you don't retaliate, you don't hit the little girl back. And he just said that that's when men were first just indoctrinated with they couldn't hit back. Well, first of all, the girl shouldn't hit it either. Who knows if that's even true? Yeah, no, you can't hit. That's not how that goes. Yeah, he has these whole skewed ideas of the base psychology for being a little boy or a little girl. And women are very protected. That's why it's Society of Protectors. He goes, they live in a glass house. They're princesses. They're constantly protected. But beforehand, I guess the point I was trying to make is that like, you couldn't really tell from the executive success program's uh, curriculum mm-hmm. that it was... Curriculum? Wa- curriculum. <laughs> that, like, it's a hard word to say. I know. That it that his intentions were nefarious. No, you could you definitely could. It was you know it seemed like it really was just to potentially be helpful. Yeah. But then with these other programs, with Jeunesse and with SOP, you start to realize that like he's got some bad intentions, some ill will, and he starts to convey this whole idea that like boys are the ones who are actually they're really suffering, really suffering. Yeah, and, and that, it's women's fault, and it, that it's women's fault. And, and it's time to reprogram that, that. Exactly. And so, like, once he decides to allow women to come into SOPs, it's they don't have the same teachings as the men. They have to learn what it's like to be a man, apparently. And so the way that they decide to do this is by basically treating them like cattle. They literally are given a number and only referred to by their number. And everything they do, they're criticized for. And they're not allowed to retaliate. And so, like, the men will be like, uh, what, what do they call it? Um... Uh, fault, not fault. Fault, yes. Is that, no. Like number 29 needs uh, to be f- at fault. Shoot, no, flawed, flawed, uh, shoot, I don't know. Something like that. Like now we're going to tell you what your faults are. But we, I, there's a, I think there's a different word for it, but I can't remember what it is. It doesn't matter. It means the same thing. Like basically you're too emotional. You're too. Um, it's like a strike. Like they have like a, it's literally yeah. a tallying system for all of the bad things or or at least what uh the men don't approve of in the program or for example if a woman like tells a man to make the bed well now you're talking down to him so now you have you you're one strike yeah one strike and the thing he are so keith sets it up where he's like he literally says oh he's talking to the group of women and he goes oh it's uh it's so just so like so adorable when you try to do physical activity, like you just can't do it. And so the way that they punish them for their flaws in this is they make them do planks or wall sits. Yeah. So he'll have like a, the whole group of women and they encourage the other, the society of protector men to do it. So 
these men who eventually escaped or whatever feel horrible for the fact that they literally looked at 10 women. They were like, this is your flaw. This is your flaw. Get down in a plank. Yeah, and they would fault them for like ridiculous, just stuff like they're, as they're going through this day of teaching and everything, like, oh, this, this girl made me feel insecure. Or this girl didn't remind me to stop chewing my nails. Like, it's really weird stuff. Yeah. And they're like, you're to blame. And so then they get punished for it. And they basically just treat these women like absolute crap all day long in an effort to apparently teach them what it's like to be a man. And then they're like, oh, see, like men have it this hard all the time. This is why you should really respect them a lot more. To the point where there was one, they, they have her face blacked or, uh, blurred out, so I don't know who she is, but she says, when I was in high school, I was bullied like really, really bad by a group of boys, like really, really bad. And until this program, I didn't realize that they were suffering too. And that's why they did that to me. At a base level, that's, I guess, a fine concept because usually people that are hurting hurt other people, fine. But not to the point where she's going, I feel so bad that I was upset with them. Yeah, like it's it was okay what they were doing. Understanding. Yeah, and, and now I know that I should have felt... So through these two programs, both Jeunesse and SO, the uh, Society Protectors, they kind of <laughs> That was shift. just so hard to say without laughing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Total garbage. They, they shift the perspective and shift the responsibility and blame onto the females for pretty much everything. And then from this point forward, with all of the um, coursework, if you will, um, that's kind of the theme, which helped develop DOS, which is the real criminal organization. The real sex trafficking. In... Nexium. So mm-hmm. DOS is, you know, you can kind of look at it as an umbrella corporation type of thing. Nexium encompasses all of these self different self-help programs, ESP, Society Protectors, Jeunesse. There's a couple other random ones too. And then they formed DOS, which was Dominance over women slaves. Or something. Dominance over slaves, master over slaves, yeah. basically Latin for Masters over slaves. Yeah. And uh, uh, I guess the cool Latin name and the uh, DOS acronym was enough to uh, entice a couple women to leave Jeunesse or to to extend their Jeunesse um, curriculum. 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 I can't say that. To solidify their commitment to Keith and his rat tail. Is that that sounds like their tagline. (laughs) <laughs> solidify your commitment to Keith. And basically that's what it was though. Um where they be they vowed to be slaves. And they would call him Vanguard or even in texts I think with Allison Mack and him I think she would say my master. Yeah. Well so everyone there was like a chain of command with DOS um or everyone had a different master and then that Well Keith was the ultimate master. Of, co- then, of course Keith yeah. was the ultimate master but under each master was another slave. So, yeah. I mean, like... It, so, like, Sarah, that girl I mentioned, because she was higher up, when she first joined, they were like, okay, so you have a slave now, and you got to tell her what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, apparently, that was supposed to be empowering. I don't really know. Or abusive. Or abusive. Yeah. And it was so... It was down to, like, every minute of your day was controlled. You could not go to sleep without asking permission from your master. Mm-hmm. Um... And then as things grew and grew and it, it got more out of control, eventually a brand 
was installed into the program where if you were going to remain a DOS member, you had to be branded, which was not told to them until they, you know, were literally in the room secret being cauterized. They were naked, blindfolded and naked for a number of hours. And then till boom, you know. And if you were like, oh, I feel like, why am I naked? Then they would be like, you know what? You really need to get over your body issues, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like the, this is the meanest sorority hazing ever. Which I think, you know, all of that is just a, a tactic to distort their reality anyways. You know, you oh, yeah. strip them naked, you leave them blindfolded in a room for an hour. And then, and then the brand doesn't seem so strange. You're like, well, hell, if I, if I can go home after this, just get me through it. Totally. Totally. So, so yeah, so, th- so it gets to that insane level. And then that's really when the government starts looking into... Um, you know, what's going on here. Uh, I mean, ultimately, he's arrested and he was just sentenced for like 120 years in prison. But like, I guess to wrap this up, I just, I guess the, a few, I just want to discuss a few of the themes of like where our brains, I feel like it's breaking my brain to try to understand how people fell for his shit. Like it's, Okay, so we may do a follow-up episode once we finish the um, another series on Nexium, which is called Seduced, which is with India Oxenberg. Her mother was on Dynasty. She's like from you know uh, Yugoslavia royalty or former former Yugoslavia. Um, she eventually escapes and does her own uh, documentary. And uh, spoiler alert in that one, just one of the craziest reveals for me, is they're filming a uh, seminar where Keith is talking. And he 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 starts to, uh, well, use uh, old, is it old Greek mythology or the or Roman times or whatever? Uh, yeah, I think he's speaking on both Greek and Roman yeah. times. Where, it, you know, it was okay. And this uh, trigger warning here. It was okay and pleasurable for uh, a father to engage in sexual acts with his, you know, six-year-old or something, daughter, and and the the daughter enjoyed it until society told the daughter that it was wrong. So then she felt it was wrong, and literally, they then pan to the audience, and no, everyone's just kind of like nodding their head along, and that's kind of where I was like, oh, I'm out on all these people, like it. No one stood up and was like, hey, this is this is real inappropriate. Or at the very least, they didn't catch one person on camera at least looking to their friend next to them being like, wasn't that, wasn't that, that was, seemed kind of weird or not okay or what are we doing here? I'm sure plenty of people thought similar stuff. And he framed it, you know, referencing an ancient culture. Yeah, but he's, so he's saying that it's okay now. Which, which no, remember, I don't think he was saying that it's okay. No, he now. was. He was basically saying like we don't know, or, or like we don't know that things are wrong until society tells us they're wrong. But remember, afterwards, when we watched that, I made the point of like, okay, well, if that's how you want to live, then you get, then you have to live with the plague, and um, everything being disease ridden, and you don't live past like thirty five. And sure, if you want to live. Yeah, that by way, those rules. If you want to sure, live by those sure. rules? Yeah, and it's also we're like going, I mean, we're, then you gotta we gotta go. You gotta take everything else that was yeah, going or, on during you know, that time. 
fathers were having sex with their daughters, but also like neighbors were just killing people, bludgeoning yeah. them in the head. Because with, they stole bread from yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, uh, these were different times. So cool. Uh, but you, you can't just pick and choose what you want from each yeah. era or each thing. Like that's just not how that works. But I, I don't know. I agree with you that I'm sure there's many people in the audience thinking like, this is kind of weird. Uh, I think I should leave now. But the other problem too is but, that like most of those people were probably brought by a friend and introduced to the whole idea under the guise that Keith Raniere is a genius. So if some, you know, if you're watching a guy give a lecture and you're like, he's really smart, even though you don't know he's just pulling things out of thin air where like the Greek and or Roman um, society he's referring to, he, he's just, he doesn't have any actual clear reference. It's not like he like read a, a book, you know, on Aristotle or Plato and he's like, actually, I think he just like, pulled that idea loosely out yeah. of some because he wanted to justify his own actions yeah first century idea and there's not a specific instance that he even is, even knows that he's talking about but you don't know that you think you know in the audience you think keith Raniere is a genius level man of academia and you believe he probably knows about you know first century bc second century bc rome and well they also randomly call him a scientist all the time mark will say like well i mean he he's a scientist and we were just we were we were following his science like where is any he there's so many claims he's lived so many lives that i can't yeah he's he's busy he's such a giant imposter i mean like and i'm sure that's what he um preached to mark and all them is that like you know that he is a scientist and that but we had the internet then you could look it up like that, I guess that's where like I don't want to judge these people because I, I I do think anyone could be susceptible of being sucked into some form of a cult. And and to be fair, these people that are made this documentary, they all escaped and they're very ashamed of what they did. And I think we we could all be you know victim of that of being you know then harmed. No one's perfect. There's just so much about Keith Raniere and how little sense he even makes that it's really hard for me to completely sympathize. No, I, I, I don't think you should. I think that everybody involved does need to be responsible for their own actions in a sense, because it is at its very foundational core, an egotistical thing to think that they were capable of reaching this enlightenment without like, they're all, all, the, all doing these people, any of the work. All of these people were, you know, working together. They were like, I love being a part of Nexium because they thought that they were creating a profound change that could create global change on an ethical level. But also, it, it, it also just goes to show, I don't think anyone is godlike. No human is ever clearly not the guy that was the gatekeeper to the Dalai Lama who took a vow of celibacy, a monk, slept with the Seagram's girl, and that's how Keith got, like, even those people are completely fallible. Like, it's like, I think any time you believe that, like, you're this special, unique, you know, person that... I think there is some credence to a Buddhist monk. Well... In in search (laughs) of light, I think there's some credence to a Buddhist monk 
joining a monastery in search of enlightenment, giving up all worldly possessions and only having one pair of clothes being the one, you know, orange robe they're going to wear and, and, and literally having no um, possessions like that. That's a great human sacrifice. But clearly fallible. I know, I'm not saying, obviously, they're still human. Mm-hmm. But at least that they are, they, they're really giving up something in pursuit of true, true enlightenment. True. All right. And they actually meditate for days on end. And there's no protocol to follow. It's not like they are following coursework. It's not like you need to, you need they're to not, recruit 10 people not, this month in exactly, order to keep your proctor exactly. status. It's like, that's the culty part of it. Like the Buddhist, the monasteries, it, you know, it's said that the, the greatest teachers are not preachers. In order to be taught, you must go to them. They don't come to you mm-hmm. and teach you. That's always a red flag. Of Hence why we came up with Seven Deadly Sinners, the podcast. Listen I, to that true crime one. I think of um, fraudulent spirituality is that if the person's coming to you to give it to you. Yeah. Like... Only, totally. the, only the truth seekers. It's almost like a psychic that approaches you in a mall. Like, yeah. oh, I, I see something weird. Like, I got to tell you something about your family. And give me money first. Yeah, and give me your money too. So well, that, like, yeah, and Keith was like, $2,000, five days. deserves to feel responsible because it's like, how could you not see it? Yeah. And did you really think that like, like they had to be egotistical enough to believe that they were part of the new movement, the new wave, the yeah. like, the chosen ones who are going to become so ethical that they were going to have a global impact and change the world at an ethical level. It's also just like, whose responsibility, who who are you to say that your ethics are right? Because like the, totally. the, the people in Papua New Guinea who are cannibals, like their world is their world. And like, y- you know, it's not your job or your to right add, yeah, to yeah. say that they're doing life wrong. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Well, we got to wrap this up. It's getting dark and I've, we've locked my parents up in a room so we could podcast. Um, we've ba- essentially made them DOS slaves to us right now. So <laughs> <laughs> we should probably, as we tell you people how much we know. Yeah, it's true. It's also like us having an opinion on it. Like I would never fall for that, I, but I, I, we, we have tried to sympathize. Like I do see some of it, but yeah. I think he throws me off so much as a person. Well, this is just a testament of how much the throne can do the talking. Yeah. I'm saying, oh, like, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alone, the, the, like the man who sits on the throne. That if alone, we all, if we all believe they're the greatest, then exactly. I guess they like are. Like, if, if just imagine if you were like blindfolded and put on a ship, and then you're in the bottom of a ship for a week, and then you are released into this grand palace, and there's a guy sitting up on that throne. Well, you're gonna feel like he's the exalted one, mm-hmm. and he's and he's your key to wherever you want to go now because he's the one in power and, and that and sense of power overrides all other logic. But if you think about it in such a simple sense too of like you experience that in every aspect. Like think about in high school, that big jock bully who now is a fucking loser. Yeah. But in high school you were like, oh Mike, whatever he, he says. He wears the or jersey the, on Fridays. Yeah, or the mean girl who just did mean things and made you feel bad about yourself, but you were like, but she's the cool one because she, she said she, she was. She sits the head of the popular yeah. girl lunch table. Yeah. yeah, so you just sort of, it it, it applies to every part of life and it's just the a kind of... The throne can be bigger than the person in such a way that like people weren't even looking at Keith Raniere. They were looking at he's the focal point of this whole thing that I'm a part of now and I'm not an idiot. So like he can't be an idiot. Totally. All these people here and they read totally out a big theater. Because actually that I read part of this book on something like that. It was about a co- like con men and a confidence game. So I think that's what it was called. Um, where 
part of falling for a con or a cult or something is not wanting to believe that you could be stupid. Yeah. You want to believe you're so smart you could never. And and it actually, they say that you're more susceptible to fall for multiple cons if it already happened to you once because then you're like, well, I would never let that happen again. Like, obviously not. And they won't let themselves believe that they were. Yep. Yeah. And I think what makes this one even worse, who really fueled the fire, fire was Mark because when suddenly the guru is being followed around by a camera crew. Yeah, yeah. It's like, whoa. He's... Well, this guy's got something to say and everything he says is a bit more important when there's a boom mic hovering above him totally. and cameras on him and you're just going to naturally believe that. And I've seen it happen in my own life. Like I, I've i seen it happen right now with this podcast. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, a microphone alone gives you some power. But I mean, if you've got two cameras and some lights and some people following you around in a boom mic, like you could pretty much walk into the White House totally. unanswered because people just assume you're They're supposed like, to be there and you have yeah. permission to do so. That's true. And yeah, so really, like that's I think Mark should feel exceptionally responsible for giving so much uh, hype mm-hmm. to Keith Raniere because they just, they just, for no good reason, they decided to film every single word he said from the time Mark joined. Mm-hmm. Stupid on Keith's part, actually, because now this is what yeah, we have Yeah, it's all coming him. back to haunt him. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Greg. Thank you guys for listening. I didn't have a choice. Please go. Oh, God. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Go watch The Vow. I mean, and let us know what you think. Like, DM me on Instagram at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L-N-O-B-R-I-E-N. I'm curious to know what you guys think. Like, I mean, yeah, just it's, it's hard not to be judgmental about it, even though you don't want to be. But, like, let me know if, if you guys are saints and you, you can't pass judgment on them. I don't know. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. I love you guys. Bye. Bye.